Welcome to the People's Church Sermoncast. You can join us for our live worship services on Sundays at 10 a.m. People's Church is located at the corner of Mill Plain and Andreessen in Vancouver, Washington. Please visit our website at peoplesvancouver.church to learn more about our community and how you can get involved. And now for this week's sermon. Howard Turner is coming this morning to bring the word, so let's welcome him, give him a big old People's Church welcome this morning as he shares God's word with us. So each year, the Landover neighborhood hosts a neighborhood-wide garage sale, and I attend. Now, I don't go there to bring more garbage home to my house. Believe it or not, my mission field is garage sales. And I can tell you that historically, I've had some amazing conversations with people over the years. I can tell you that I met a gentleman that was diagnosed with terminal cancer. I met another man who had just buried his wife and he had all of her belongings out in the driveway. And another time, I met a woman who was hosting teenage runaways and was fostering for teenage girls. So this year was interesting. As I went into the neighborhood, I came around the corner and there was a home all by itself, door open, and some very, very expensive tools that were in the driveway. I mean, we're talking about laser levels and things that are five, ten thousand $10,000. And a man by himself kind of huddled in the back with nobody at the sale. So I walked in and do what I normally do. I just leaned against the workbench and started a casual conversation with him. And out of the blue, he says, I don't know why, but I feel I need to tell you this story. And he says, a couple of years ago, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. And it was advanced. And so I chose to have surgery and have it removed And now I'm facing a situation where my girlfriend has decided because I can't function romantically that she wants me out of the house and is evicting me. And he says, I just spent all of my money remodeling the house, so I'm facing homelessness. I have no family, I have no place to go, and I'm distraught and I'm sitting here in this garage and I'm at a loss of what to do. So I had a moment as we say in my household, where I was able to speak into his life and I said, you know, sometimes God has to remove somebody from your life to be able to show you the blessing that he's prepared for you and instead of being discouraged, let me pray for you and let me give you some encouragement. Now, if you think that's not a sobering story, two days later, I went to O'Reilly's parts store to pick up something for my car And the young lady behind the counter was sitting there and I said, I'm really curious, how did you get a job working for O'Reilly's Auto Parts? And she says, well, I was working for Cascade 16 Theaters and my daughter died and in my grief I wasn't performing well and they fired me. And on social media somebody told me that there was a job at O'Reilly's and the next day I picked up this job at O'Reilly's. I said, wonderful story. I said, how old was your daughter when she died? She goes, 13. I said, do you mind? Can I ask you what happened? She says, she was bullied on social media, and I came home after work, and I found her, and she had hung herself in the closet. Now, you should all be brokenhearted at this point, at that story. But these are the types of conversations that I run into whether it be garage sales or other places, on a regular basis. So before we go any farther, I'd like us to pray. If you could put your hand on your heart for me. Father, we need to spend some time hearing from you today. Forgive us for our living a distracted life. Forgive us for making things more important than you. Please remove the distractions from our hearts and our minds this morning. Let us focus wholly on you. Help us ignore the noises around us and keep us from the temptation to look at our phones during the service. Quicken our hearts to listen and learn from you this morning. Amen. 
So why do people feel compelled to tell me their story? Some of it is rooted in the fact that I ask powerful questions. Those of you that have spent some time to get to know me, and Junior and I had coffee together and we were talking about this. I taught him, I said, ask this one question, what's your story? And you'll be amazed at what people will share with you. And he said something very insightful when we were sitting, and he goes, I think most people are starving for somebody to ask them that question. Everybody wants to have their story told, but nobody's asking. But I think that there's something more important than that. There's something deeper than that, and I think it's an American problem. I think most people are living a frustrated life because they don't feel heard and because they don't feel heard, they don't feel loved. My father was injured in World War II. He had an explosion and it blew about half of his face off and with that, he lost a majority of the hearing. He had one good ear, if you want to call it that, but it was still very challenging to have a conversation with him. And because of that, I developed a certain tone that I have to deploy to be heard. And I think a lot of people mistake that tone that I use for arrogance. But in reality, you learn when you live with somebody that's hearing impaired, there's a very defined range that you can use where they can actually hear you. Anything outside of that, they can't. And if I was to speak to you in my natural voice, you'd all be leaning forward and go, can you speak up a little bit? Because it's a different voice than what I project with but this is part of my upbringing. But here's the challenge. Even though he could hear the words that I was saying, he was not really ever a father that listened to me. And I grew up a desperately lonely young man because even though the words were coming out and he could acknowledge the words, the emotion or the intent behind them were vacant. And I felt desperately lonely. And I suspect, if we were to be really honest with each other, a lot of you today have that same experience where you want desperately for somebody just to hear you and be heard. And for whatever reason in your life, that's not happening and you recognize the loneliness that comes with that. If I was to interview the married couples in this congregation, I can almost guarantee you that at least one of the spouses would look at me in pure honesty and say, I don't really believe that my spouse is ever listening to me. I don't feel heard in this relationship. That's a very, very common thing to experience in talking to couples. So it's just not a human issue, it's a marriage issue, it's an American issue. Vernon can attest to this that probably there are multiple times when he's trying to sell a car and he witnesses scrapping and fighting between the husband and wife and the comment is common, you're not really hearing me dear, this is not the kind of car that I want to drive. Amen? and then he ends up being a marriage counselor on top of everything else. <laughs> Did you know a recent survey, and I was gonna put the statistics up, but I, I, I have to restrain from taking my engineering brain with you, but I'm gonna tell you that they've done some deep statistical measurements of today's society, and the young people that we are seeing today are crediting to be the loneliest generation that America has ever produced. They are saddened, they are full of depression, and they are lonely. And I think that the reason that they spend so much time on social media casting themselves into the abyss is that it's really a cry for somebody pay attention to me, somebody listening to me. And the sad thing about it is that if I was to go take the children in this church and interview them individually, most of them, if they were honest with me, would say, mom and dad don't listen to me. It's a tragedy that we have in today's society. We have lost the ability to listen. And because of that, we have this manifestation of these craving things out in social media between TikTok and Instagram and all these other things, and we look at it sometimes. If that's for me, take a message, please. <laughs> By now, 
you all should be pretty uncomfortable. And that was intentional. I believe there's a direct association between the need to be heard and the need to be validated and to feel worthy and to feel loved. I don't know how a person can feel loved if they're not being heard. Okay? I believe we can all agree that when a person listens to you, they are in essence stating, I place great value on you as a person. And we can all recall back, and here's something interesting, is isn't it interesting that it stands out to you that one occasion where you had a coffee or you sat at a dinner table with somebody and you walked away and said, wow, that person really heard me. They really listened to me because it's such an odd experience in American life to feel like you could sit across from somebody at a table, at a coffee shop or whatever it is, and Junior and I spent a whole hour talking about this very subject, about the loneliness, but yet inside of that, when you do apply yourself to listen, the greatest statement of validation to another person is to lean in and be quiet and listen and really, really listen to what they have to say, okay? This also means that the opposite is true. When a person makes little or no effort to listen and understand, it feels and looks like they don't place much value on you. I recently retired, but I can tell you one of the more frustrating things in the business world is to fly from Portland to Los Angeles and go into a DOD-restricted plant where you have to bring a bunch of identification to get into the building, prove your citizenship, plan a presentation, sit in the room, and then realize that everybody in that meeting is sitting there on their phone and they're scrolling through their phones while you've just spent $1,000 in airfare and time to fly down and present something to them. And I'm just old enough and stubborn enough that I got to a point in my career where I would just stop and I would stare at them and say, when you're all through with Instagram or whatever you're looking at, I'll go ahead and continue, but I'm not going to compete with your phone for attention. And what you're really saying is that you're really not that interested in what I have to say. And I think we've all experienced that, that Pavlovian response when you're sitting at breakfast with somebody and they keep jerking and reaching for the phone and going, so am I yesterday's toast? Is what I have to say less valuable than what's coming off of that cell phone feed? It's epidemic. Did you know that God stresses and has the same issue with his creation? You realize that God bemoans the fact that we place greater importance on other things than listening to him. Have you ever looked at how much value he places on listening and look at the importance that's found in scriptures? Mike, do we have Deuteronomy up? Deuteronomy 26. This day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and ordinances. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all of your heart and with all of your soul. You have today declared the Lord to be your God and that you would walk in his ways and keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, and listen to his voice. Repeatedly in Deuteronomy, the keeping of the commandments or the keeping of the law is tied directly with the statement, and listen to me. And unfortunately, if you look at the history of the Jews, they took a blade and they severed the two, and they put a lot of emphasis on keeping the rules, but neglected the more important part of that edict, which was listen to the voice of the Lord. And we could sit here all day and recount stories from the Old Testament. Saul is told to go into a community and eradicate everybody in that village. He's to destroy the animals, the people, and lay waste to the entire village, and he doesn't do it. He brings the king back and befriends the king, brings back the best of the produce and the best of the animals, and the Lord says, what are you doing? You didn't listen. You cannot pick up a section of the Old Testament and not find a consistent thread and story about people that were given a commandment and they did not listen. 
tied to every example that you'll find in the Old Testament, you'll find this over and over and over again, listen to my voice. And it's unfortunate that man does not take it seriously. Mike, let's go to Jeremiah. Since the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt until this day, I have sent you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising early and sending them, yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck and did evil more than their fathers. And you shall speak all these words to them and they will not listen to you. And you shall call to them, but they will not answer you. And you shall say to them, this is the nation that did not obey the voice of the Lord your God or accept correction. Truth has perished and has been cut off from their mouth. And one more, Jeremiah 17. Yet they did not listen or incline their ears but stiffened their necks in order not to listen or take correction. It's a devastating thing to go through and read book after book after book about the story of the Jewish nation and painted through this entire story is these sentences over and over again. You did not listen. You did not listen. You did not incline your ear. So let's go back for a minute and touch into that emotion we just talked about. We all shook our heads and we all agree that the greatest validation, the greatest sign of love that can exist between two humans is to listen and to be heard. God has emotions just like we do. And he feels and agrees the same thing When you listen to me, you validate me, and it is an expression of your love and your obedience in our relationship. When you do not listen, and the Jewish nation suffered the consequences of this, when you do not listen, it's an offense. And yet we can celebrate that he's a long-suffering God It is easy to point and look back at these stories of both mourn and judge the people for their blindness and their stubbornness and refusing to listen, but that would be foolish for us to do. It's a time for reflection. It's a time to ask the Father, have I too become dull of hearing? Do I really hear your voice? I didn't sit down to write this message. I had a completely different message that I was working on out of the book of Daniel that will probably come in the future, but it was like a heavy weight pressing on me, and every time I would read the scriptures and every time I tried to put together the Daniel message, the Holy Spirit kept saying, but look at this, look at this, and it was constantly, you're not listening, you're not listening. The more I read, the more he showed me the importance of listening and how I had become dull in my listening. The good thing about these kinds of journeys is God is never in a position where he leaves us vacant in the journey. He offers his hand and says, if you're willing, take my hand and I'm going to show you how to get out of this spot. Okay? If we listen, if we pay attention... There is a path of deliverance. Babylonian captivity was in place when this chapter of Jeremiah was written. Mike, I think we're coming up on Jeremiah 42. The remnant of Judah had gathered with commanders and approached Jeremiah, asking him to petition God on their behalf. So I'm going to insert something here. Historically, Jeremiah spent 22 years warning about the coming Babylonian captivity. When the Babylonian captivity arrived, there were 70 years that the Jewish nation was under Babylonian rule. And this chapter is written close to the end of that Babylonian captivity where there was just a remnant of the original Jews left 
and they had all come together, all of the leaders, all of the fragment had gathered in one spot, and they went to Jeremiah, and they said this. Then Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I heard you. Behold, I am going to pray to the Lord your God in accordance with your words, and it will come about that the whole message which the Lord will answer you, I will tell you, I will not keep back a word from you. Now you understand, just prior to this, they had told him that they said, no matter what the Lord says, no matter how difficult it is to hear, we will receive it, we will hear it, and we will obey it. They, they stepped into that mess, if you will, and he says this, then they said to Jeremiah, may the Lord be true and faithful witness against us if we do not act in accordance with the whole message which the Lord your God will send to us, whether it is pleasant or unpleasant, we will listen to the voice of the Lord our God whom we are sending to you in order that it may go well with us when we listen to the voice of the Lord. Okay, well, there's a change because up until this point, you haven't been listening. So maybe you finally learned something out of this journey. Sounds great. We'll slow down and let's look at the next verse. Jeremiah 42, 7. Now it came about at the end of 10 days that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. I fear sometimes when we read, we read so quickly that we forget to look at some of the nuances in there. And we live in a society where everything comes to us instantly. We can pick up our phone, and I'm sure you've had this. It happens to my wife and I a lot. Well, we'll be sitting someplace, and she'll go and say, I wonder who invented Oreo cookies. Oh, that's easy. I just pull out my phone, and I boo-boo-hoo, and then suddenly it comes up on my phone instantly. And I think we approach the Lord the same way. Jeremiah had spent his entire life before the Lord. This is a man who had a calling. He had the word. He had the inside ear. He saw miraculous things going. And yet when he said, I will petition on your behalf, it took him 10 days before he came back with an answer to their requisition. So these, these are uh, examples Let's look at Daniel 10.24. In those days, Daniel had been mourning for three entire weeks. It did not eat any tasty food, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use ointment at all until the entire three weeks were completed. I think I'm out of sequence for you, Mike, so let's go back to Daniel 9.4. So let's talk about context here. I'm going to reverse the order a minute. So Daniel is getting towards the end of the 70 years. Daniel was raised inside of captivity. He had only known in his adult life Babylonian life. And yet, if we go deeper into the story of Daniel, this is not a man that's void of supernatural experience. And yet, what do we find him doing in Daniel 9.4? So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him in prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes sackcloth was made of goat's hair, not the most comfortable of garment. Sackcloth was also worn by prophets who show their brokenness in the face of the terrible message of judgment and doom they are supposed to deliver. And sitting down in and covering oneself with ashes is a symbol of mourning. Fasting, in this case, was due to distress and grief. So let's couple that together. We find Daniel a man who's lived a supernatural life, putting himself on the ground, covering himself with ashes and sackcloth, petitioning the Lord. Then we reach to a point where he says, I was fasting for 21 days. No food, no meat, no wine. These are examples of a pattern that I need us to see today. These men were close to the Father. These men had a history of hearing from the Father. These men listened and obeyed the Father's voice. And after years of faithful service, we see them spending days, days, waiting 
to hear the Father's voice. Let's hold a mirror up again to our own lives for a minute. And what I'm about to share with you is applicable to me as much as it is to anybody else in this room. When is the longest time I've spent praying, waiting for an answer from the Lord? Most of us are Instagram prayers. We're looking at executing a quick, short prayer, expecting the God like chick licks out of a gumball machine that the answers are just going to flow out. And yet the reality is if we look at the Bible, that's not what the saints experienced in their lives when it came to petitioning God for an answer. So I have to ask myself, when's the last time that I spent any amount of time waiting on God for an answer to a prayer? What is the longest time I have fasted or removed myself from circulation to spend time listening to the Father? Daniel's 80 years old, and he goes three weeks without eating. I can't imagine making it 12 hours. I can tell you the stomachs, my, my stomach noises would be offensive to most people if I hadn't eaten for 12 hours, and I can't imagine 21 days. And yet, we can look to Daniel and say, he understood how to press in to a point where hearing the voice of God was more important than eating. I'm embarrassed to say that I don't live that kind of life. The most convicting thing about these examples is that they did not have the advantage of the Holy Spirit in dwelling in them. They longed to see the day that we live in. They were jealous to see the fulfillment of the prophecies to have what we cherish today. Do we cherish it or we take it for granted? The living God, the creator of the universe, placed a helper inside of us to expedite communication so we can listen. But do we? Can we take an example from Daniel and Jeremiah? Are we so desperate to hear that voice that we can forego the natural element or the natural cadence of our lives and press into that? If not, it falls back to what we started the conversation with. What is more important than listening to the Father's voice? Because that's what we're saying. Dan asked the question, what's the solution? I appreciate you asking that question. I can always count on you to ask the profound questions. I love you for that. It begins with understanding the need to move our prayer from ask to listen. We raised three boys. And I can tell you that when they became teenagers, I sat at the dinner table one night and I said, I no longer want you to introduce me as dad when your friends come over. I want you to now introduce me as ATM. Because the only time I ever hear from you is when you get your hand out and you're saying, hey, I need some money. Whether it was sports or photos for school or they wanted to take a girl out on a date or they wanted to go to the movies with some friends, it was... You've lived this. You know what I'm talking about. Dad, I need $20. Uh, sure, what for? Oh, I want to go to the movies tonight with my friends. Okay. Oh, and by the way, I need another 10 for afterwards because we're going to get a Baconator after we're done. I told them, I said, the only time you ever speak to me is when you want something. What happened to the times when you were young and I would be sitting in the chair and you wanted to climb up on my lap and just sit there while we read Where's Waldo together? Those days are gone and now it's in and out, boom, boom, boom. Hey, what are you doing? Oh, I don't have time, gotta go, see ya. By the way, where's my 20 bucks? The question is, are we treating God the same way? Is it a short prayer on the way out the door? I'm late, I grab my lunchbox, grab the keys on the way out the door. Hey, Lord, bless my day. Thank you very much. Boom. Get in the car, turn on sports radio. Away we go to work. And he's standing on the side of the curb going, 
Vernon, you know, there was a time where you used to be able to sit in my lap and we'd do Where's Waldo together. Now the need to get up to Vancouver Toyota is pressing so hard, I'm getting a little bit of this. Let's talk about the posture of asking. When we are in asking mode, we approach the Father with our needs, our wants, and our agenda. When we are in asking mode, we start with a petition. We end when the answer or the solution has been addressed. We disconnect from the conversation. We choose when and how often the conversation happens. My son stopped in and asked me one time and says, I need $25 for soccer cleats. Sure, son. Pulled in my wallet, took two $20 bills out, and said, here's your money. And I said, why don't you come here and sit down and let me find out a little bit about what's going on in your life. I haven't talked to you in a few days. And he says, hey, I'd love to, Dad, but the guys are waiting for me out in the car. Love you, see ya. Boom, out the door, slams the door. He's gone. And I'm standing there with an empty wallet. And I'm going, okay, so he got what he wanted out of the deal. Where did that leave me? It left me longing for a time in the relationship where he and I actually had communion, where I could understand a little bit about what was going on with him, and I could share a little bit of my heart and say, hey, here's what's going on in my life. And all of a sudden, it's out the door, and I'm realizing how much of my prayer life started to look like that. You know, I pray every Sunday morning for this church and I enjoy every minute of it, but I recognized as I was doing that that I had fallen into this mode of ask. You know, Mike Patterson, I pray for you more than anybody else in this church. I need you to know that. I love you. And yet what I have to confess is that I go through this routine on Sunday morning and I go through my checklist. Pray for Mike, pray for the music, pray for Vernon, and then I get up, put some hand sanitizer on my hands, grab the keys to the car. She's already gone because she's going to the study. And all of a sudden it was like, the Lord says, do you have any interest in what I had to say about this morning? Wow. You know, I have to tell you, that's a hard one to hear. I want us to take a look at Luke 18 for a minute. And this may sound like it's out of context when you first read it, but I think you'll find out where we're going here. And a certain ruler questioned him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Do you know the commandments? Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these things I have done kept from my youth. And then Jesus heard this and he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all you have possessed and distribute it to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when he had heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. He came in asking mode. When he did not get the answer that he wanted, he became sad and disconnected from the conversation. Was he afraid of losing control? Was he afraid of being asked to do something outrageous? Did he need to retain command and control? But what you say, I want to live a listening life. How do I move from asking to listening mode? I'm glad you asked. Step one, repent. Confess to the Father that you have been not listening as you should. And I can tell you for me, that's a very humbling experience to have to stop and confess something like that. And yet it's actually good. Let's look at Jeremiah 7. 
But this is what I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you will be my people, and you will walk in all the way which I command you, and then it may be well with you. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels, and in the stubbornness of their evil heart, went backward, not forward. So there's a danger of the unrepentant heart when it comes to this subject. Step two, and for some of us, this is a very difficult thing to have to say. Reduce the words you use when you're in front of the Father. Now, here's an obscure section of Scripture I'm sure none of us have read in the last 30 days. The words of Solomon. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Anyone want to guess what the sacrifice of fools is? For they do not know what they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulse in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. And I have to tell you, I suspect that sometimes it's a cultural thing with American. I think we have learned from bad example that somehow that if I get before God and a lot of noise comes out of my mouth, that he's impressed with what I'm doing. And Solomon warns us and says, have you forgotten when you go before the throne that you are standing or kneeling before the Almighty God? Be careful of the amount of words that you choose to use before him. It would be better to shut up and listen than to be counted a fool for the amount of words that you're using before him. Step three, practice living a listening life. Pull the insert from today's flyer. And Mike, I think we've got that up on the screen. Thank you for that. My wingman, thank you so much for all your help on that. Here's a model to help us learn how to move from asking to listening mode. If you look at the wheel, you're going to start at 12 o'clock, and it starts with posturing. So lest you be very literal and think it really has to do whether you're sitting or kneeling or one leg up and one leg down or one hand up and one hand down, it's not so much the physical attributes, it is the state of mind. Posturing in this example of intentionally putting yourself in a place where you're intending to be a listener. The recommendation is that you have a quiet place, some place in your residence where you can pull away from the phone, the computer, the email, the coffee pot, all of the distractions that surround life in America and say, this is going to be my spot where I pull up a chair and I'm here to listen. And I can tell you that I've taught this before. In some cases, it's good just to take two chairs and have an empty chair and you sit in the other one and face the empty chair and assume that Jesus is sitting in the other chair. If that is the mental posture that you need, to be able to take this seriously, then by all means do that. But the top of the wheel, 12 o'clock, means that I'm intentional of isolating myself and putting myself in a position of being prepared to listen. Coming down the dial, we go to Scripture. Those of you that have sat through any painful conversation with me have heard me say multiple times, I want you to start reading your Bible differently. I want you to stop reading your Bible like it's an instruction manual for putting together a refrigerator and start reading it with this one goal. I want to understand the heart of the Father. If you intend to be a listener, when you go to the Scripture, start reading it, and every day ask the Father, before I read what I'm going to read today, let me see your heart 
in what I'm going to read. It will change how you hear God because he reveals himself in the scripture. And in the New Testament, we hear this where it says, God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. But let's learn the lesson from the Jewish nation who thought that obedience alone by collecting rules and regulations and in fact impacting the entire world by forcing those rules and regulations on people, but forgetting to listen and forgetting the spirit of what was behind them, it ends up becoming a bunch of clanging brass and noise that is unnecessary. And so reading, read for the content and just do this for a month and come back and tell me if your reading does not change. Father, show me your heart in everything that I read today. The things that we're talking about this morning are the produce of that, where the Holy Spirit kept saying, look here, look here, look here, and these verses about listening just keep jumping up, jumping up, and the Father is saying, I need you to spend more time listening to me. Once we've gotten into that, the next part of the dial is discernment. And discernment looks like this. Will you start filtering everything in the world around you through how you've learned to see the world through Scripture? I've spent the last 90 days buried in the book of Jeremiah. I can tell you my stomach hurts. Because when I look at the nation of Israel and I look at what was going on at that time, and I hold it up against the United States, it is frightening how familiar what was going on in that time of the season of history, and there is no difference between the United States and the Jewish nation during the times of Jeremiah, Daniel, and Ezekiel. We are just as corrupt, we are just as full of idolatry, we are just as full of arrogance. We are just as full of, as, the corruption is unbelievable. And do you realize that in the middle of that captivity, Jeremiah came to them and said, I'm bringing you a word from the Lord. And they shook their fists at him and they called Jeremiah a liar. And they said, we are not going to listen to you anymore. We're going to follow the path of idolatry that's been set inside of our culture for over 100 years. And they chose the, the, the idolatry and burning incense and giving sacrifices to the moon goddess over listening to the voice of Jeremiah. And you think there's any difference? This is what discernment does is you hold it up and you lay it against the world and there's a clarity. Scales drop from your eyes and you can see what's going on inside the world and you'll see God moving in the middle of that. I'm going to tell you, God helped the United States because we carry this sense of arrogance that we somehow are God's chosen people and that we're immune from his judgment and his discerning eye and we should be repenting for what's going on in our nation today. But you don't see that if you're not in listening mode. If you're going about your life in asking mode, then your world is too small because your asking mode is only looking at the circle that's drawn around your house, your life, your circumstances, my illness, my children, my marriage, my job. But what about the rest of the world around you? What about the people across the street from you? What about the nation? What about our poor president? Can we make jokes about him and his alleged Alzheimer's? Or do we pray for him? and say, no man becomes a leader over this nation unless God permits it. That's God's chosen leader over this nation. We should not be ridiculing that man. We should be praying for him. But if we're in asking mode, we neglect those parts of our lives. Now, the toughest part of this thing is obedience. Learn to obey his leading, even if it's only the next thing. You are probably immune from this, but here's my temperament and my personality. I'm looking ahead. I have a challenge because my vocation for the last 40 years as a process engineer 
was to anticipate what's going to happen two, three years down the road and write forecasting and write software and other things that come around the business and say, where's the business going to be in two years, three years, four years? And so you're anticipating what is over the horizon line. When God comes to you and asks you to do something in prayer, it's the next step. Rarely are you going to get the end game explanation. And we as Americans don't like that. We want to know what the end play is because then we feel that we have the autonomy to decide, gee, I'm not sure that's a journey I want to gather around. That's not a journey I want to take. So unless I know what the end game is, I'm not sure that I want to take the next step. This may be out of sequence, but I want to tell you that we came here in a Sunday, I believe it was November of last year, and I had a list of churches that I wanted to visit. I had seen Gary on the internet. I found an obscure sermon from him in Sacramento on YouTube, and I watched it, and I said, I like this guy. Let's go to that church. I want to hear what Gary has to say alive. We came here one Sunday. The very next Sunday, she walks into my office and said, okay, what church is next? And I had a list of five other churches that we were going to list. And I said, well, we got a challenge because the Holy Spirit says, you're not going anywhere, you're going back to people's church. And she looks at me and says, what? And I said, that's the next step. And she says, why? I have no idea. (laughs) Now, I still don't know why. We're nine or ten months into the journey. But I can tell you the other thing that was very interesting about that is I had just retired and I was clearing out my phone and I had this contact on my phone and it says Vernon Bagley. And I'm going, Vernon Bagley, Vernon Bagley, who is this guy? Why is he in my phone? And I said, Lord, why is Vernon in my phone? The second Sunday we came back, this man walks up to me, shakes my hand, And I said, I'm glad to meet you. What's your name? And he says, Vernon. I said, what's your last name? You know, brother, we got history. We had worked together 20 years ago. Is that an accident? It's not an accident. So there's a rekindling of love here that was a design that if I had been uncomfortable with the next step, you're not going anywhere, I would have missed a reconnection with somebody I needed to reconnect with. But you know what? We still don't know what the end game is for us as a family at this church. I have to be comfortable with it's just next Sunday. I'm okay with that. But you know what? My natural personality, it's very, very uncomfortable to live in a world of next steps. But that's where obedience is. So, when we're in a position of listening, God is doing the talking. We are learning about his agenda, his feelings, his desires. We are united with him. I fear we have lost sight how outrageous God is when he speaks. Let me give you a couple of examples. He asked Moses to part the Red Sea. He asked Noah to build an ark. He asked Isaiah to walk around naked for three years. I don't know how much more outrageous it gets than that. He asked the disciples to walk away from their jobs and their families. He asked that rich young young ruler to give away all of his wealth. He asked me to come back a second Sunday to People's Church. In a small way, it was an outrageous thing to ask me to do. And in my stubbornness, I had to argue a little bit about why. By the way, I didn't win the argument. But you know what? Here's the thing. Maybe we don't listen because we fear what he may ask us to do. And I think the biggest problem that we have with obedience is this. As long as we are in asking mode, we can control the discussion and the outcome. When we step into listening mode, 
we risk, we risk him asking us to do something outrageous. Somebody in this room has been told to forgive. And you're struggling with that. Because in your world, that's outrageous to have to lay that offense down. But you don't know how bad it hurts. Oh, I could spend a month with you talking about wounds and needing to forgive. Maybe you need to forgive a debt that was owed. Quit a relationship or a job that you're not supposed to be in. Maybe you're being asked to move to a new location or give an extraordinary amount of money. In my case, it happened, as I said, when we came to visit the church. The most important response to this message really is a change of heart, a recognition for our need to spend more time listening for the Father's voice when we hear it and to thank him. Mike John. Is this verse true? My sheep hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me. What does that imply if we're all sheep? What does it imply? It implies we're listening for that voice. Are we listening to that voice? Does he know us? If we listen to that voice, are we actually following? And I tell you, I've said this several times, this is as convicting for me as it is for you. I don't dare stand up here and say that I've arrived, but I can say for this time, for this moment, we as a group needed to hear this message. And so I'm gonna close with this suggestion. If you need prayer, if you need to come forward and just have a moment where you confess or you just need to come forward and pray, this is an opportunity for you to do that. But the balance of it is this. I'm gonna say, if you don't feel compelled to come forward, if there's not a driving need for repentance or prayer at this time, I'm gonna ask that you respect those that are gonna come forward and take your visiting or your exiting out into the main foyer so as to not interrupt or disrupt the people that need to come forward. I know Vernon is here. There's other people that can come forward. Leonard, you need to come forward if you do at this time. So I wanna, I wanna close us in prayer corporately. And after that, if you feel compelled, if you need to come forward, this is a great open invitation for you to take that time. Father, we are grateful that you care so deeply about us. And let us learn, each one of us, the lesson that has been laid before us. And we openly, we repent, we confess that we can do a better job of listening to your voice. You have said that we are your sheep and that we hear your voice. And with that, we ask for your forgiveness. We ask for your love. We ask for your guidance. And Father, I pray for every person in this room that chooses to follow this pattern that they will set aside time to posture themselves in prayer, to listen for your voice and choose to obey, that you would visit them and reward them and speak to them this week to know that it was worth the sacrifice, it was worth the effort, and that you're there and you're listening. Amen.